Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 18. I apologize. Verses 31 to 43. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, the blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Please leave your Bibles open. Thanks, Bim. Uh, amazing. I saw you take your specs off to read that about a blind man seeing. I don't know if you normally, I don't know if you normally use your specs to uh, to read, but uh, obviously uh, you are, you are a visual aid of uh, what that passage is about. Now, um, children are going to leave and go to their different groups. Uh, uh, the one group, in fact, <laughs> uh, and uh, they've got. Uh, uh, this story that they're going to be looking at, and um, the rest of us are going to be studying it here, and keep uh, page 1052 open in front of you. Afterwards, uh, we'll be able to look at uh, any questions you have or other stuff that you want to say um, where nice and relaxed. Uh, and therefore, audience participation afterwards, uh, as much as you like, very welcome. Okay? Now, as we come into this passage, let me come at it by asking a bit of a different question. What's the prevailing mood that you have as you live life? Generally, what kind of mood do you live in? I know it's a strange question, but humor me for a minute and think about it, because I want to ask, are you one of these people who feel down, and therefore even if there are things going right, you just wonder what's going to go wrong any minute now, and the glass is half empty? Or are you someone who likes to think of life as 
always going up. So whatever's wrong, well, it'll all work out right in the end. Be happy. Now, let me ask you another question. Whether you're naturally down or up, does it make a difference when you become a Christian? After all, becoming a Christian doesn't change the color of your hair. Would it make any difference to the temperament that we're born with? Well, strangely enough, we're going to see how this story actually helps us to think that through. And we're going to see how this blind man will help us. And there are two groups in this uh, passage in this story that we're going to be looking at. The disciples who are down and the blind man who is up. So if you're scribbling notes, uh, it's an easy one today. First heading is down, second heading is up, and mostly it's about how to go up. All right? You with me so far? Then let the journey begin. First we're going to go down and uh, just have a look at these disciples. They have just been told for the third time in uh, chapter 18, verse 31, that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. You all know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, don't you? Everything's going to go pear-shaped. And he has already told them, this is the third time, the other two uh, are uh, in Luke, uh, in chapter 9. Uh, I'll stick it there so you can write it down if you want to read it later. But actually, this is the seventh time, believe it or not, where Jesus has been speaking about the fact that he'll die and leave them. And I'll stick the other uh, 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 four references up too. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 35. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Luke chapter 9, verses 43 to 45. Luke chapter 12, verse 50. Luke chapter 13, verses 22, uh, 32 to 33. And Luke chapter 17, verse 25. All are talking about Jesus, ultimately heading for the cross. But certainly, this is the third time the disciples have had three private tuition sessions. Now, this is what's going to happen in front of them. But they don't understand in verse 34, and they don't ask. Now, look, don't be too hard on them, because, well, it's hard, isn't it, to believe that someone can die and then come to life again if you've never seen it happen. So it's that idea of Jesus saying, on the third day I'll come back, that is just something they haven't been able to get hold of. Yeah, suffering, we understand what that is. Death, we understand what that is. Resurrection, this is a whole new deal. And uh, we don't uh, understand and not even going to ask. So suffering without resurrection is what gets the disciples down. Okay? Down is no resurrection in what is expected. Let's now go to up 
and to the blind man. And let me be mischievous, because it's that kind of evening. Let me ask you, when did this man begin to see? It's a mischievous question, because you're going to be very clever, and you're going to look at the Bible, and you're going to tell me the answers then. Verse 43, Mike, it tells you, in verse 43 that immediately he received his sight. That's when it happened. Yes? No. It actually happened in verse 38 because Luke is trying to tell us that he was already seeing who Jesus was when he calls him the son of David. Now, at this point, he is seeing something incredibly important because son of David, and if you're reading this Bible passage at home and you're trying to understand it, just notice, when you see son of David mentioned twice, it's a kind of signal that that's a fairly important part of the passage. And son of David is a loaded, loaded uh, with uh, 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 talking about Jesus, if you understand the Old Testament. Because there's been a big build-up over this for a really long time. David was the best Jewish king that they had, and he looked after God's people as their leader. But then we're told... All the prophets in the Old Testament tell us that there is going to be a greater than David, a descendant of his that will be nonetheless greater than him, not just in the way he is able to look after God's people, but this time the throne of David will last forever. Okay, Now, when you talk about the son of David and the fact that he's going to be king forever, you are talking about a person with resurrection built in to what you expect. You may not have seen it happen, but you know the Bible tells you that if someone is going to be reigning forever, then resurrection is definitely on the cards. So there are the disciples not expecting resurrection. Here is uh, the blind man using a term that implies that Jesus uh, is the son of David with all that that implies now he sees that but everyone else is blind and can you see the way the clever way Luke tells us how the two are different look at verse 37 and when the man asks what the commotion is about how did they describe Jesus Jesus is this, the, the, of Nazareth okay now, that's just a very ordinary human way of describing him. You could have said that about his dad, Jacob of, uh, Joseph of Nazareth. Okay, they've got this human being in their minds. But when the man is uh, uh, then uh, given an opportunity to speak, he comes out with the full royal uh, uh, title that Jesus has, and he calls him, the son of David. It is the only time in the Holy Luke's Gospel that anyone gives Jesus his full royal credentials in this kind of way. And he uses it twice. So in other words, it's no accident that he 
he said it out the first time. He repeats himself again. And very interesting that one of the things that Jesus came to do, and Luke's been telling us all along, is that as Sir David, he is coming to help people to see. So if you go back all the way to chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, keep your finger in Luke chapter 18, go all the way back to chapter 1. And in verse 78, remember, Zacharias uh, is John the Baptist's dad. Okay? And so when John the Baptist comes along, and um, uh, Zachariah uh, names him and uh, um, uh, prophesies, now, Jesus has not yet been born, but he says, old Zechariah, that um, uh, John will be going in front before the Lord in verse 76 to prepare the way for him. And then you see how, um, uh, what uh, Jesus is going to do in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, that's Jesus, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the ways of peace. So way before Jesus is born, we've got someone saying, here's going to be someone who's going to be throwing light that we can see so that our feet will know where to go. More to the point, when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 4, when he gives us, if you like, his manifesto. Look, we've got a general election coming up. You will know what a manifesto is before too long. It's where the people tell you what, what they're going to do in the future, okay? Where Jesus' manifesto is in Luke chapter 4. And look at verses 18 and 19. This is page 1031. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, says Jesus, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, <coughs> to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I don't know what this blind man would have picked up from all his herd, because he wouldn't see much. But he certainly understood that the year of the Lord's favor has happened if he has understood anything about what's been happening in Luke's Gospel. Even a few things would have given him an idea that this is a different year. This is the year of the Lord's favor in the way that he is responding to people who seek him and call on him. And so he saw what no one else did, that Jesus had help for the blind. And as son of David, he asked for his help. Now in that sense, when you come to think of it, the physical sight that he got in verse 43, when he could finally physically see, uh, that was just a catch-up of what was already going on in him. He recognized that Jesus could do so much more than David. He'd never asked David to help him to see, but he goes to Jesus and says, I want my sight. And he uh, understands. Uh, Jesus sees that his internal view of him 
is what led him to make that request. And so he says, your faith has made you well, in verse 42. In other words, you've been able to see inside who I am. Let me complete the seeing for you. And in verse 43, he gives him his sight. So the first thing about the blind man is he was able to see who Jesus was, the son of David. And already uh, the kingdom of David breaking in once again into the experience of his people. The other thing that he did, and George really brought that out in his little all-age slot that he did, and that is he called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's always a mark of confidence that someone has understood who Jesus is in the way that they talk to him, in the way that they cry to him. And that's what's happening again and again. You can't miss this point with Luke if you just simply read Luke chapter 18. It starts with a widow going to a a judge and asking and asking and asking for help. And it ends with a man who won't be kept quiet. But he asks and he asks and he asks for help. You just can't stop him. The crowd tried to hush him up. Actually, it reminds you, if you were here last week, about how the disciples were with the children. Uh, Look, uh, uh, Jesus can't be bothered with you. Shush. But he won't be shushed. He's like the tax collector in verse 13. He does nothing but, it's the same language, isn't it? God have mercy on me. The sinner. And it's really important, I think, to underline that asking God, calling out to him, is the simple outworking of someone who sees Jesus and who he really is. It's not enough just to see who Jesus is. If this man understood that Jesus was the son of David going by, and he said, oh, that's interesting, and he just kept quiet... Jesus would have just carried on walking past. If he hadn't called out, nothing would have changed. The calling on Jesus was vital. So how do you go from down to up? Well, first, understand who Jesus is, the son of David. Second, call out to him for mercy, that he will make a difference. Third, he follows Jesus Praising him. If you like the physical ability to see in verse 43, just liberates this man to get up and follow Jesus. Couldn't do that while he was blind, but now he is able to do that. And he is praising God with the uh, top of his voice, with all his lungs. Now, this man following Jesus is a big contrast to the rich man last week. Remember, last week the rich man was asked to follow Jesus, to leave everything and to follow him. And he went away from Jesus sad, if you remember verses 22 and 23 of Luke chapter 18. Uh, uh, Jesus told him, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad. 
here is a man following Jesus and so different. When you follow Jesus, there's nothing but uh, praise and joy. And that's why we go back to the beginning and ask how this affects our mood. Is our mood affected by our temperament and personality type or is it affected by truth of who Jesus is as we cry out to him and as we follow him. Yes, down the road to suffering, but also down the road to a future. The blind man, as all the miracles of Jesus in his lifetime, is a preview of the future. But we can't have that same physical healing now in the same way because the son of David is not here. But when he comes back, the son of David has already shown us the future by what he did in the past. And so therefore, it's worth thinking this through, isn't it? In our own context, in our day, what does it mean for us? Now, there are going to be some people who are new to the Bible. And it's not really been something that they've been exposed to very much. And it's very easy, isn't it, to go with Jesus along the lines of the Jesus of Nazareth sort of explanation as to who he is. In other words, he's a pop star, he's famous and followed, but in the end, he's just a man. And the great joy and privilege of this church is to jump up and down and say, please, please change your view of him. I is not just another uh, uh, highly respected and thought of uh, uh, man. He is the son of David. In other words, he is the one who can bring in a perfect future. And we live our lives heading for that. What a difference it makes when that fills the screen. But it is important if that, uh, for anyone who is new, not just to understand who Jesus is, but to actually call out to him to have mercy. So many people, I think, pick up that Jesus is God's, uh, God's special son in some way, but they don't call on him. And the moment passes them by. That's something you'd like to do. Let's chat. It's, it's just something we can maybe give you some personal help with and encouragement so that you don't uh, miss out. Don't see him as just another person. See him as the one who brings a whole new future into our uh, uh, experience and understanding. It might be, of course, someone here who's known Jesus for quite a long time. You know he's God's king. You can answer all the questions on the exam paper if someone was to uh, test you on the Bible. But following him isn't a life full of praise. 
Because we are like the disciples, we are fixed on suffering more than resurrection. Now, I don't mean just the persecuted suffering that Jesus is talking about, but I mean any old suffering, because we are living in a sad old world, aren't we? And it's going to get us down. What's the answer? Well, it's really important, I think, to understand that uh, uh, Jesus is the son of David, and therefore we're talking about a kingdom that is forever. That's the key thing about the son of David. He is going to be the king forever, not just in a different league in what he could do. Now, the disciples didn't get the resurrection, but the blind man saw that Jesus is God's promised king and the full dimension of what that meant. And our seeing Jesus in this eternal capacity means that although we'd be looking at suffering, like the disciples and the blind man, all heading still down the road to Jerusalem, where all those things are going to happen as Jesus said they would, but nonetheless, living in anticipation of what's ours will cause us to praise God loudly because of the perfection of his kingdom. It really will make a difference. We're not in a perfect life now, but we can live anticipating that life now. And it would help if we did more than we do. So let's to give you a practical example. Say I'm tense with you. Say we've fallen out. Say we're... Uh, it happens in Christian families, doesn't it? That people uh, aren't always close to each other. Now, obviously, you and I are going to hate it. I'll certainly be wanting to call on the son of David to have mercy on us and to bring us together again. I want to call out because he is the son of David and when we're in uh, the, uh, the, the sadness, we want to seek his help. And yet, while I do that, as I walk towards you, I may be conscious of the distance, but at the same time, I want to walk towards you with this picture of what we're going to be like in the future in our minds. That would make a real difference, doesn't it? Won't it? That's why we need each other to say, uh, Mike, uh, whoever I've fallen out with, let's say uh, George. Uh, Mike, George, uh, you're not going to be like this in the future. Come on. And that is, we live life now anticipating the future. That is the joy of it. When we have a meal together later, um, the joy is the anticipation of, of doing this with the eternal lights on. Not just uh, with a good curry. Uh, to um, keep us going in the present. And of course it leads us to a new world, view of the estate that we're living in. Uh, our task as the church is to go out and meet people and love people as we go down the different streets of the Beckentry estate.
And the one thing I can guarantee you that we'll find is that there's going to be universal blindness around. And friend, the best explanation that you can give and that I can give and all the best persuasive arguments that we can muster won't actually change a thing. Blindness takes Jesus to give sight. And we want to be praying that God will open the eyes of people to the son of David so that they understand what an eternal kingdom is like and come to live with us in the light of it. Uh, there's going to be a lot that will come through to us in terms of the blindness. When we come to pray in a moment, we'll see that a lot of the reason why we have to pray for our country uh, for different situations is because our nation is blind. And it's important that we understand that there is a God who can open eyes. Otherwise, there really is no hope for our land. But there is a God who can open people's eyes to a whole new kingdom and then to bring people to live joyfully, following Jesus in the light of it. We've seen the foretaste in this story. How we can live in the full expectation of Jesus coming back wonderfully, gloriously to be a greater king than David ever could be and to do it all the time. Let's pray that God will help us to trust that and to live in the light of that. Our Father, we thank you for the preview of the future with uh, Jesus as the son of David as we see in full what uh, he can do as we look at the part of what he did with this man. And we pray that you will fill us with real, real praise of you as you fill us with an anticipation of what life is going to be like with the son of David. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Amen.